Welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday, I almost said Tuesday, Jeff, sorry, the Wednesday edition, and Jeff, take it away. Good afternoon, I'm Jeff Smelser in Exton, Pennsylvania. We had full compliment today. Joe Works in Elmira, New York, and Chase Byers in Fishers, Indiana, with Drew DeGrotto, whom you just heard behind the scenes. Good afternoon, guys. How's it going? Jeff, you look both very intelligent and handsome today. I, that's such a nice way to start the program, but I don't believe it. What's going on? <laughs> you, you said we had the full compliment today, so. Oh, um, that. Oh, that, so that was the compliment. Yeah, that was okay. the full compliment. All right. Was, <laughs> all right. Well, we were just talking a moment ago, saying that Chase of the of all of us, Chase is the mature one. Uh, <laughs> Chase is sitting there rolling his eyes at this behavior. <laughs> all right. So um, we're going to be talking about something that's been in the news recently. The Southern Baptist Convention has been meeting and discussing what to do about women pastors. So there were two big mega churches, Saddleback being one of them, uh, where Rick Warren, who's famous for, um, what's the book that he wrote that everybody reads? Uh, isn't that uh, a purpose-driven church? Yeah, yeah. yeah. purpose-driven lifers, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, that the, those churches were were um, appealing their expulsion from the denomination because uh, they uh, would allow women pastors, and uh, by and large, the messengers is what they call them, the delegates to the convention from all over the country, opposed that. Uh, but some of the people in leadership in the Southern Baptist Convention are okay with that. And so they were going to vote on that. And then also, and so they did vote on that yesterday. And as a matter of fact, they did vote to uphold the expulsion of two mega churches. Uh, but then uh, follow up, they're voting on whether just to tighten up the ban on women pastors. So there's several things that we might want to talk about related to this, but that's kind of the news that prompts our discussion today. Is that a good enough introduction, guys? Something you want to add? No, I think it really sets the stage and uh, leads into a lot of different yeah. questions that ought to be answered from the Bible, right? And yeah, and we've we've had we've had podcasts like this, guys. We've been doing this for a few years now, and I feel like we've done this with a few different denominations before, where they will make some kind of shift or vote on certain subject or a certain um, uh, things that are especially getting pushed in the world and in our country right now. Uh, I remember us doing a podcast very similar to this once when the Catholic Church and the, the Pope um, made some comments about homosexuality and us going ahead and doing a podcast on that. And so I suspect this is something we're going to be seeing more of in denominations and in churches where we're, we're wanting to bend Bible truths to fit what the agenda is of our nation at the time. Uh, yeah. And so, so that's one that's one thing to, that we'll be talking about um, the influence of just worldly influence in churches in in religion, and 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 we really probably need to talk about what does the Bible actually say? Is this worldly influence or is this what the Bible teaches? And then there's just the question of if we're following the Word of God, where do we find the need to have a convention to vote on whether to keep congregations in the denominate? Where do we even find this denominational concept? So all of those are things that we might want to talk about. 
where do you want to start? You want to just start with what the Bible says? That's yeah. always a uh, it's always a good starting place. Well, all right, all right. So uh, you know what? I'm going to start with First Timothy two, even though that that passage often uh, gets attention. Well, let's just start with First Timothy two. Let's just start there. Um, in First Timothy chapter two, where, where maybe you should ask, where would you guys start? Where would you start? Well, I think you need to start probably with First uh, Corinthians fourteen, or at the very least, uh, what a what a pastor is. Can a pastor even be a, a female? Right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, so, so obviously, well, let's let's go to. Let, let me- can, yeah, can I go back one one more step? Uh, um, where I would start would be probably something like Matthew twenty one, and uh, verses twenty three through twenty seven, if I may. That sounds good. Go there. So this is in the final week of Jesus's life before his crucifixion, and uh, the chief priests and the scribes are upset because he's cleansed the temple, and he comes back the next day, and they confront him. Verse 23, now when he came into the temple, the chief priests, the elders, the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Mm-hmm. But Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where is it, where is it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned amongst themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he'll say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority you do these things. So I think it's just really interesting to consider that the religious leaders wanted to confront Jesus based on authority. Right. And mm-hmm. on the surface, that seems commendable. But it's what authority. And so Jesus then, as he always does with these hypocrites, turns the question back on them and says, I'll answer if you'll answer mine. Is the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Is it from God or is it man-made? And really, I think that needs to be our criteria when we're trying to decide anything. And so when we talk about, you know, where do we go? Well, we go to the Bible. We go, we, we have to decide is this something from God or is this something from man? And in the same text, I think it's relevant to these questions regarding religious groups. The religious leaders struggle here. How do we answer? Because either we're going to be shown not to be following God or we need to make sure that we please the group. You know, we, we fear the people <clears throat> as well. And, and I, I think that that's just so relevant. You know, we, we could put in the names of religious groups and see that same sort of thinking process of verses 25 and 26. Mm-hmm. If we shall say from men, we fear the multitude. Right. Because so, so they're responding to, the, and in this case, the multitude had it right. John was a prophet from God. So they dare not say that John was just, uh, he got his authority from men. They dare not say that. They'd like to have, <laughs> right. but they dare not. And so they were not just simply going by whatever God said. Right. Yeah. All, right. All right. So then if we're going to just go by what God said, it is very contrary to what we see in the world today. 
But the Bible does give distinct roles for men and women. It gives distinct roles in marriage for men and women. And it gives distinct roles in the church for men and women. And um, when we go to 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, and spe specifically here talking about when, when people come together in the assembly. So throughout the New Testament, we see Christians in various cities, um, and they, they would be collectively a, an assembly, a church that physically came together and assembled. And in 1 Corinthians 14, that's what you're talking about. And that's in the context of the discussion of spiritual gifts and how to use those and how not to use those in the assembly. When the Christians all come together there in the city of Corinth. And um, you'll see in verse 23, it says, If therefore the whole church be assembled together in one place. And in my translation, the one I'm looking at here doesn't include the words in one place. But that's the language of the text. The King James preserves those words. If therefore the whole church be assembled together in one place and all speak with tongues and so on. So he's talking about not just any time there's people together doing religious things, a few people here, a few people there. He's talking about when you have an assembly. Guys, when you went to school growing up, were both of you public schooled? Yes. Did you have school assemblies? Yep. What was what did the school assembly look like? Uh, it was everyone from the school. I mean, it was if it, if it was in high school, it was ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth grade. A whole school was there. A whole school comes together, one big room, probably the auditorium or the gymnasium or something like that, right? Yep. Yeah. So that's the idea here, and in that context, uh, down in verse uh, thirty-three, middle of verse thirty-three, he says, "As in all the churches of the saints." Let the women keep silence in the churches, in the assemblies. That's what the word translated churches means, in the assemblies. For it is not permitted unto them to speak, but let them be in subjection, as also says the law. And if they would learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it's shameful for a woman to speak in the church, in the assembly. So, guys, Chase, you threw out the question, what's pastor? Well, a pastor in the New Testament is that the word means shepherd. And, and it, those men who are shepherds in the New Testament are also called bishops or, or elders. Uh, bishops is also translated overseers. And they are, they, they are men who have the responsibility to teach the flock. They're going to have responsibility to speak to the assembly from time to time. And this passage would say, well, you can't have a woman speaking in the assembly. There's another passage we'll talk about in a moment that's relevant. But... I think this passage right here uh, is enough to say that, well, women should not be in a speaking position in the assembly. That's that's plain enough. Now, we may need to talk about this passage a little bit. There are various questions that arise in connection with this. Any any particular facet well, in this passage we need to clarify? Yeah, let me ask this question. So I had a Bible study with some Mormons. Uh, it's been a couple months ago now. But in my discussions with them, we talk through a lot of things about Bible authority and how do we know that God's word, the Bible as we have it, is his established word. Um, but one of the things I did with them is look, we went over and we looked at this passage and I said, so for instance, you know, from this passage, we understand that Paul is saying that women cannot be speaking in the assembly. And they said, well, we have women that speak in our assembly, but it's because we have a living prophet now who has updated it. And he said that this is no longer the rule that, Paul 
that was true when Paul was alive, but now we have a living prophet that says otherwise. So the way that they would get around this passage is by saying, we have a new prophet. Mm -hmm. My question, Jeff, is does the Southern Baptist Convention, it, it, are the people who are arguing this, they don't believe in continued revelation. They would believe that this is the only inspired word of God that we're going to receive, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what is their traditional explanation of this passage then? Well, I, I don't actually know. I, I will tell you that by and large, the uh, delegates to the Southern Baptist Convention, and I think there's a couple thousand of them, is that what it was? Um, they by and large believe that they should not have women pastors, uh, although some of the people on the leadership, in the leadership positions of the Southern Baptist Convention are okay with it. Now, what they think about women speaking in the assembly I'm not sure that many of them have a real problem with that. And, and that's, that's a problem not just with the Southern Baptists, but that's a problem with a lot of people, a lot of congregations you and I uh, meet with and worship with from time to time. There are a lot of brethren who, who are going to limit the instruction of the Bible to official acts as leaders they have no problem with women speaking in the assembly and maybe maybe the three of us need to talk about that here what what do we understand this passage to say do we understand it to say that you just can't appoint them pastors or do we understand this passage to say women are not to speak out in the assembly well is it fair to say that the context is that there are prophetesses as well there are women who prophesy in these churches i, I wouldn't say the context is there are women prophetesses. I would say the context there is that there are women who had spiritual gifts. Okay. So, and, and, and whether it be tongue speaking or prophesying, and that's what gives rise to Paul talking about this. That's why he needs to mention this because he's giving rules for when a prophet speaks and when a prophet doesn't speak. And when somebody who's a tongue speaker speaks, he's, if there's an interpreter present, the tongue speaker may speak, and and if not, then he shouldn't. And, and as he's giving all these instructions, in the background of his mind is the fact there are women in the church at Corinth who had these spiritual gifts. What about them? Right. And so then he just says, the women need to keep silence. Yeah. So and that, then he gives the reason. Yeah. The reason is because it's not permitted for women to speak. Yeah. So he applies the principle that women are not to speak to the issue of women who have spiritual gifts. Yeah, so that, that would be how I would teach this passage as well. But mm -hmm. I, I think we're all three on the same page there. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I'll do. I'll mention this. I saw, you guys are familiar with something called Preacher Talk, a group on, on Facebook. And I saw a discussion of some, and I don't remember the particulars, but the, the question was, can women say amen? And and there's 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 a question there that might be worth considering, although it's not a huge issue. Um, but in discussing it, and I, and I didn't I didn't comment, I didn't take time to comment. But in discussing it, there was a presupposition that the Bible only restricts women from speaking in a teaching way, and. Um, that's not what 1 Corinthians 14 says. As a matter of fact, it gives the example in verse 35, if they would learn anything, that is, if they would inquire about something, if they might have a question, if they're soliciting information, let them ask their own husbands at home. 
So it's not just talking about a woman in a teaching position here. It's even talking about a woman speaking up and saying, uh, well, what should we think about um, Matthew chapter 21, say, for example? She, she's supposed to, if she has a husband, she's supposed to ask her own husband at home. Now, I'll tell you the, the comeback, there are a couple of answers, there's a couple of responses that people will make to that. And one is to say, well, this passage in 1 Corinthians 14 must be limited just to married women, if it means that, because it says, let them ask their own husbands at home, and not all women have husbands. So it cannot be a general prohibition against women speaking out. Have you come across that? Well, what would you say to that? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what I would say. First of all, that idea is is given impetus by the King James, if I remember correctly, which says, let your women, it adds the word your based on the received text, the text receptus. And so it makes it sound like it's talking about your women is one of the ways the Bible would say wives. And, and so so people have thought it's talking about wives. And, and then they'll go to, it must be prophets' wives. But but if you just turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul says, Paul is there talking about the abuse that the Corinthians were making of the Lord's Supper, and they were turning it into a common meal is one of the problems. And then in verse 34, he says, if any man is hungry, let him eat at home. Uh, so that's not what you come together to do. You're not coming together when you eat the Lord's Supper. You're not coming together to satisfy hunger. If you want to satisfy hunger, eat at home. When he says that, what if there had been Christians there who were homeless? Um, or or what if there were Christians there who wanted to go to McDonald's for lunch? Was he precluding going to McDonald's? No, he's just making the point. You have alternatives to turning the Lord's Supper into a common meal. If you need to satisfy hunger, you have alternatives. You can eat at home. He's not saying that's the only alternative, but it's the most obvious alternative. I think it's it's exactly the same thing in chapter 14. He's not saying asking your own husbands is the only alternative. In in Titus, Paul talks about older women teaching younger women. So they could ask an older woman, and that doesn't have to be a husband. They could all, certainly ask the elders. Uh, the, the elders are supposed to be teaching not only publicly, but from house to house. So there are all sorts of alternatives that they could have to speaking out in the assembly um, but he just states the most obvious one. Most of the women would have had husbands. Just ask your husband at home. And I think also in this section, if you said this, sorry, I was looking at something else in chapter 14 as well. But in other words, you're just totally ignoring what I said. No, 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 no. no, no, no. <laughs> at the end of verse 33, he says, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should be silent. And then in verse 37, if anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should recognize that what I write to you is the Lord's command. Right. Which goes back to Joe's point. Yeah, uh, I mean, this is a commandment, and this was something he was, from what it sounds like, consistently instructing all of the churches. Mm -hmm. And so this is not some cubbyhole rule for the church in Corinth with the spiritual gifts that they have, but mm -hmm. this is what he's been telling all the churches. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Joe, you've been trying to say something. Well, I'm just thinking about uh, somebody Chase, maybe Chase had asked earlier about what would uh, what would they say? What would other groups say? Maybe the Baptists uh, say or, or others in regard to a lot of this. And some of their arguments are along the lines of, well, but 
in the first century, women weren't uh, educated. Women weren't, they were second-class citizens. And so this is a cultural thing. And now we, we have women who are better orators than, than men. Um, uh, and so we're really hindering the, the Holy Spirit when we forbid them. And so they sort of make it as, oh, I agree with the Bible. I think the Bible is God's word, but it was written for a different time and a different people. And, uh, you know, it's fine to read it, but we're really not like accepting it as uh, for all time. It's a it's sort of a living document, if you will. Right. Which basically is just to say it just undermines the authority of the Bible, undermines the authority of God's word and, and really just puts it back on ourselves. We'll figure out what's best. And, and what that ends up doing is is denying everything in the scriptures eventually. And, and some of them would even admit that, for example, when we talk about, and I don't want to go down a rabbit trail, but just give a where this heads, is do we believe that Jesus Christ is the only means of salvation for the world? Um, and I, I would say yes. Um, but, the, but many of the same people would draw the conclusion, well, but I'm not going to say that these other religions, you know, there's, there may be several ways to get to heaven. It doesn't have to be through Jesus. And so that idea of just wanting to get along with everybody, not tell anybody no, give every, put everybody on the same level, puts Jesus on the same level as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. Now, there's another passage. There's another passage that we do need to mention. It's 1 Timothy chapter 2. And, and I want to be clear here. I don't believe 1 Timothy chapter 2 is specifically talking about what we do in the assembly. It would include what we do in our assemblies. But I understand 1 Timothy chapter 2 to be a both a, it's a broader context. It's a context that's dealing with how to conduct ourselves uh, in the kingdom of God, or as Paul says in chapter 3, verse 15, how men ought to behave themselves or conduct themselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. But here he's not talking about a local assembly, a local congregation of people assembled together in an auditorium, for example. He's talking about the whole house of God, the whole body of Christ. And as part of the body of Christ, how are we to conduct ourselves? And he talks about men and their responsibility to pray with holy hands. In other words, in verse eight, men ought to have holy hands. And then he talks about women and how they ought to conduct themselves. And as he talks about women, he says this in verse 11. Let a woman learn in quietness with all subjection. Does your Bible say quietness in verse 11? Uh, learn, mine says learn in silence. Yeah. So the thing is, this is a different word than the word in 1 Corinthians 14, where it said a woman is to be silent. Uh, this is a word that has to do with demeanor. And, and if you'll notice back up in verse 2, um, we're to pray for kings that are all in high place that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life. There the adjective form is used. The noun form is used in verse uh, 10, but it's the same word. And when it talks about a quiet life in verse 2, it's not talking about a, a life where you you are mute where you say nothing throughout your life. It's talking about an orderly life, not a disorderly life. We talk about a quiet street. We're not talking about a street where there's no birds chirping or, or no children playing. We're talking about a street where you don't have 
cars racing up and down it. You don't have ambulances and police cars uh, with sirens blaring all over it because it's a high crime area. It's a quiet street. That's the idea here. And it talks about women are learning quietness with all subjection. And then he says, but I permit not a woman to teach nor to have dominion over man, but to be in quietness. And then he, he goes back to creation and the story in Genesis 1 through 3. Um, so this passage is just talking about in the kingdom of God, in the house of God, the body of Christ, there is a responsibility for women to recognize the role that God has given them. And, and it's one where they are not in dominion over men. They're not in positions of authority teaching men. Can a woman ever in any sense teach a man? Yes. Yes. Well, give me the give me the word of God. Don't just give me your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> we have Priscilla and Aquila teaching Apollos. Uh, yeah. They they pulled him aside. It's it's uh, plural. They they worked as a husband wife team uh, second, to do that. Second Timothy one, Paul talks about the sincere faith that's in Timothy that was given to him by his mother and grandmother Lois and Eunice. So it's two good examples. So if Paul says here a woman can't teach a man, how do you explain those? What's the difference? So isn't the, I mean, he includes, he doesn't just say teach, he says, or have authority over. Yeah. And, and, and I think we recognize there's certain situations where uh, somebody may teach somebody else, but is not in a position of authority. And, and there are other situations where you teach and you are just the idea of the teacher. You can have a classroom setting and every student in that classroom is, is capable of teaching others in the classroom just by answering a question. The teacher asks them, so somebody asks, answers the question, and from that answer, another student learns. Yeah. But if the first student who answered the question, is that student the teacher? No. no, there's somebody who's in the in the position of the teacher, in a position of authority. It's, it's kind of like the difference. I mean, in Hebrews 5, in verse 12, he says, uh, many of you, you should have been teachers by now. Um, and there was a rebuke that came to those brethren for you ought to have been teachers by now. And I don't think he means that in, in the sense that you're describing, Jeff, like like the teacher of the classroom, per se, but being able to teach God's word to other people um, versus James 3, 1. Um, let not many of you become teachers. Sure, uh, sure. So. All right. And, you know, Acts chapter 13, there were prophets and teachers in the yeah. church at Antioch. Not everybody was a teacher. But in another sense, Hebrews 5 would say every one of us needs to be a teacher in some sense. So I think we get that distinction. But then keep in mind, 1 Timothy 2 is just talking about generally within the house of God, the kingdom of God, the body of Christ, the demeanor that women are to have. Whereas 1 Corinthians 14 goes a little bit further and it's not just she's not supposed to be in a position of authority it actually says first corinthians 14 actually says she's not to speak in the assembly not even to quote learn something or inquire not even to ask a question she's not to speak so that those are the i think the most relevant biblical passages that that we would we would want to bring out any more you want to say about any of that so let, let me let me play the uh, uh, the other side. Yeah, um, sure. I, I hate to be the devil's advocate. <laughs> You're but, uh, trying to avoid. I, I, really, I really am. Um, <laughs> so there is an argument that is really just based on uh, the sense of fairness. Um, you know, why? Why Why pick on the women? Um, uh, you know, there there is, obviously, 
society for centuries has mistreated women in a general sense. Uh, you know, there's there's been a there's a, there's a many ways in which men have behaved as pigs and selfish and so forth. And so there are there is a a legitimate complaint to be made that you know men have all this power and they're abusing it. Why not make this fair? and allow and i can see that kind of reasoning sure. and i'm sympathetic to it um uh, and so you know just a sense of fairness i think is a biblical concept we we need to not be prejudiced not dim, uh, discriminate we need to treat everybody the same and so forth but that doesn't necessarily equate to everybody having the same roles or the same positions and so like in the old testament which tribe was better than the all the other tribes? I'd be really hard pressed to answer that question out of the 12 tribes and then the 13 when you count Levi. Um, uh, you know, man, I don't know. It depends on what generation, maybe. Um, yeah. But you just can't answer that question. And yet the Levites were selected to be the priests. Right now, there were some really good people in Judah and in Benjamin, and you know, a lot of the other tribes had quality, godly people, but they couldn't be priests. They couldn't serve in the temple, and so that's not a matter of fairness. That's God's design, and we might be able to explain all of that we we might be able to give some very reasonable and maybe even some biblical arguments for why that is that is the right course well but the fact is god has the authority and it's so when and, he says that Go ahead, Chase. well and even it gets narrowed down further than that because right. not every man is a teacher or a pastor Right. Uh, it goes even further than that. And there's actually there's a brother who's who's listened to this program and commented in the past named Perry Hall. And we attend with uh, some members that used to worship where Perry does. And they told me that when they appointed shepherds, this was some years ago, uh, Brother Perry, the lesson, because there were some men who didn't get chosen to be elders who I think wanted to be. And he did a lesson on the ones that weren't chosen. And he he looked at, you know, Jonathan, um, King Saul's son, who wouldn't end up becoming king. And he looked at uh, the, uh, I always get him backwards, um, but in Acts 1, the apostle, the guy that wasn't chosen to be the apostle and, yeah. and looking at uh, what his life would have looked like as a, as a still being a follower. And so even amongst those designations, you got men, but not everyone gets to serve in that role. It's a matter of differences of personalities and what God's role for you is. Yeah. Yeah. You think about the, the marriage relationship. Um, I know lots of marriages where I would say the woman is far more capable in, in most ways than, than the man in the relationship. Uh, and yet the Bible defines an order and the husband is to be the leader. Uh, certainly a, a husband and a, a, certainly a husband who finds himself not as skilled as his wife in various things needs to listen to his wife, consult her and so on. And yet we can't just dismiss what God has said about the order in relation in the relationship. The wife is to submit to the husband and he's to be the leader. And the fact is, Jesus is the ultimate example of submission. Every one of us is going to be in submission to someone. Um, 
we're to submit to the government, whether the government is really worthy of our submission or not. Um, you, you children are to submit to parents. Uh, Jesus is the ultimate example. He comes and and he submits to the Father, but not only so, he, he washes his disciples' feet to make a point. Uh, he yields to the human authority that he's created. He tells Pilate, you would have no authority here except it was given you from heaven. Um, but it was given to him from heaven. And he's abusing it to be sure. But Jesus yielded and didn't have to be crucified, but was crucified. And, and so part of being a Christian and follower of, of God is learning to not assert myself, but rather to accept my place that God has given me. And, and maybe be thankful. You know, uh, there was a, uh, an older saint lady who I just really appreciated it. She talked about the blessings of not being held accountable for some of the decision-making that men in the congregation have and that her husband had. And I just thought that was really astute observation yep. um, uh, that she just recognized that we may think of that as positions of power, but it is also positions of accountability. Right, right. All right, now, so we've, we've talked about this, um, what the Bible says. Now, now let's just take another look at this whole issue that's in the news. So you have a denomination, and the way this denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, does things is they have delegates from all over come together and vote on what this all the congregations are going to be accountable for doing or not doing uh, based on what, what their vote is. So yesterday they voted to expel... Uh, two churches from the congregation were to uphold the expulsion of two churches from the denomination. So, okay, first of all, where in the Bible do you find congregations being expelled from something? What is a congregation a part of? And, and then secondly, today, they're supposed to now have another vote on whether to tighten up the ban on women being pastors. Well, if you've been listening to us so far, you know what we understand the Bible to say. Women are not to be in positions of authority in the kingdom of God, and they are not to speak in the assembly. Um, but if that's what the Bible says, wh why do we need to have a convention where somebody's going to vote on whether they go along with that or not? So, I don't mean this at all uh, sarcastic or funny, but to your first question, where do we find churches being expelled, uh, uh, the expulsion of, of churches and so forth? Uh, I, I would suggest uh, Revelation chapter 2. When you started talking, I knew that's where you're going. <laughs> I removed your candlestick, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, you you out of my mouth in chapter three, right? Yeah, you know, there's 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 a there's a few of them that, there in chapters two and three that show who is it that can expel a congregation? It's, it's the Jesus. Lord. It's Jesus, right. right? Yeah, and so we need to allow Him to have that authority, and, and not allowing, but I mean, we need to recognize that but, He has that authority, and we don't. Right. But like you said, Joe, I mean, that doesn't diminish Jeff's point at all. That's kind of his point, is right. that. Jesus, he's the only one that has the authority to do that. Where in the New Testament do we see that we, as some kind of collective body or govern a government of the church, get to make that just that kind of decision? Right. Um, in fact, the, there's one person who is condemned for doing that, and that's Diotrephes in Third John. He was expelling mm -hmm. people from the church, and he's right. specifically condemned for that. Right? 
Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a good good observation there. Good connection. And so, you know, when we think about it, humans have no authority to kick anybody out of the body of Christ or to say, I am hereby declaring you to be in or out of the body of Christ. That That's not our jurisdiction. That's not our domain. That's the Lord's. But the, the Southern Baptists, to be sure, would not say they are expelling these two congregations from the body of Christ. They would say they're expelling them from the Southern Baptist Convention, that is, from the denomination known as the Southern Baptists. So my next question is, where in the Bible do we find authority for organizing a bunch of congregations into such an entity? Well, don't don't you see the Bible uh, subheading in Acts 15, the council at Jerusalem? Haven't you ever seen that? The Jerusalem council? Okay, so there's a Jerusalem council. Um, now, now it's my turn to be the devil's advocate. I'll call myself. <laughs> well, Joe was very careful, even though he was going to take the opposite side for sake of argument. He's very careful to not ally himself with the devil. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I mean, you got, I don't know if you're all as Bibles have subtitles or headings yep. in, in paragraphs. Mine does, all, all the ones I have. And I'm pretty sure every Bible I've ever had titles Acts 15, the, the Jerusalem Council or the council meeting at Jerusalem. Yeah, my, mine has it right before verse six. Yeah. And, and what, what, what they're doing is they're reading this very idea into the text when really I, I wouldn't consider it a gathering in that sense of where they're going to take a vote as much as they are going to figure out an issue from what God's word says, just like you would do with any issue. Right. Yeah, one of the things I think gets overlooked in Acts 15, you know, Paul and Barnabas are up in Antioch in Syria, and, and some troublemakers come up from Judea, and we, we find out later on the text actually from Jerusalem. And, and they come up there and they're saying, well, these Gentiles who are being converted up here in Antioch have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Paul and Barnabas did not go to the headquarters to find out the answer. They right. knew the answer. And it says in verse two, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and questioning with them, which is Luke's way of saying they had a great big row about it. Uh, Paul and Barnabas knew that this was wrong, what was being said. They went to Jerusalem, not because that's where they could go and get a council together to decide the answer. They went there because that's where these people came from. And we see that when the letter was written, when the people get together and discuss this in Jerusalem, the letter is written that says this in verse 23, the apostles and the elders brethren under the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia greeting, for as much as we've heard that certain who went out from us have troubled you with words subverting yourselves to whom we gave no commandment. Mm -hmm. So the letter acknowledges, okay, the guys who went up there and created a problem, they came from us, but we didn't send them. Um, so that tells you why Paul and Barnabas came down to Jerusalem. And that's where the troublemakers came from. And it's interesting when Paul and Barnabas arrived in Jerusalem, how they went about addressing the problem. They just started talking about what God was doing amongst the Gentiles. Yeah. Verse 5 says, certain of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, um, rose up saying it's needful to circumcise them. Sure enough, the, the evil influence, the bad influence identified itself, and that led to all this discussion. Exactly. This wasn't Paul and Barnabas calling a meeting 
um, this discussion ensued once they got there and the the people who were teaching what was false, they kind of identified themselves and it kind of went from there. Yeah. So you, you have the biblical concept of the body of Christ and you have uh, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, and I believe it's verse 27, Paul says, you are the body of Christ and individually members thereof. Mm -hmm. So the body of Christ is made up of individual people who are baptized into Christ. And then you have this concept of a local congregation, a church at Corinth, a church at Thessalonica, a church at Berea, um, which is an assembly of Christians in a particular place. It, it appears that in a city as large as Rome, you had multiple congregations. Um, but you have this concept of churches. So you've got the one church, the entire body of Christ, and then you have churches, like the churches of Galatia. Um, or in Romans 16, it talks about the churches of Christ salutes you, that kind of thing. So there's allusion to multiple congregations. But you don't see anything in between the entire body of Christ and a local congregation. When Paul refers to the churches of Galatia in Galatians chapter 1, was that like a regional diocese? Was that like a denomination, the, the denomination called the churches of Galatia? Is that what that was? No, there's uh, different local bodies in the Galatia region that he was he had worked with in his different preaching trips. And, and so it's, it's just, he, there are some characteristic issues in a particular region that churches in that region uh, had in common, mm -hmm. and Paul writes to them to address it, but you don't see any hint of an organization known as the no. churches of Galatia to which each congregation in Galatia sent delegates. What I'm getting at is this whole denominational concept like the Southern Baptist convention. If you ask the Southern Baptist convention people, are you the entire body of Christ? They'd say, no, there's other people who are part of the body of Christ. Well, if you ask them, are you bigger than one congregation? They'd say, yes, we have thousands of congregations that are part of us. But we're not the whole body of Christ. They are saying they are an entity in between the local congregation and the entire body of Christ. But where you don't see that in the New Testament, right? No. I, I would say that this is poor phrasing, but the closest thing you get, and I wouldn't even consider this to be that close. When you think about Titus, who's on the island of Crete, he's mm -hmm. told to go appoint elders in all the various churches on that island. And again, he's not being a go-between, he's an evangelist. And so, but that kind of makes your point even stronger is that he's not appointing elders for the island of Crete to then go oversee all the different churches, right. but individually go around and appoint elders in each church. Yeah, yeah, and, and to, be, to be very precise, I think what he says is in every city in that instance, but the presumption is there was only one assembly in each city on the island of Crete. In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, you have elders being appointed in every church. Yep. So, all right, we've talked about a couple of things. We've talked about the fact that the Bible settles the issue of whether women can speak in the assembly, and then, and then as part of that, whether women could serve as overseers. Uh, you know, Paul gives the description of the kinds of people who can be overseers, pastors, shepherds, over in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he uses the term overseer, 
but he says there to be people who are husbands of one wife and so on. It's, it's clearly men in the Bible, and the culture may have changed. We may be living in a different culture, but what we're reading here is the Word of God. If we're not of the world, even though we're in the world, we can't bring our culture with us and subordinate what God says to our culture. We have to subordinate our culture to what God's Word says. Um, so we've talked about what God's word says, and then we've, we've talked about it's kind of the secondary question, why should we even have an organization that debates this and presumes to be in a position of deciding this for congregations? Uh, we're all should be just um, responsible to the word of God itself. Amen. Any final thoughts? Nope. All right. Well, we finished up the book of Acts last week. Uh, we took a topic today. If you're listening to this podcast, send us a note if there's some things you would like us to talk about in future programs. We've not really decided what direction we're going with future um, podcasts, so we're open to your suggestions. Would you like for us to do more topics like we've done today or go back to a text like we've been doing the last several weeks? Let us know. And guys, thank you, and uh, Lord willing, we'll be with you all again next week.